Andrew Seligson. I'm Emily Shields. And I'm Marisol Morales, and this is Compact Nation Podcast. So happy new year, Andrew and Emily. Good to uh, hear you guys again in this new year, 2019. How you all doing? Doing pretty good. Did you guys take a break? How did it go? Any good stories? I did take a break. Uh, traveled around, saw some family, saw some friends. And I don't know that I have any big stories. As soon as you said that, I was like, do I have a story? I don't think so. But I had very nice holidays and got to see some people haven't seen in a very long time and came back restored and ready for action. From the pictures I saw, you were around livestock. Oh. I was around. That's true. Uh, when we go out to Ohio for Christmas, I hadn't even thought about this with Martina's family. We visit very often uh, their friend Rafa, who is he's a baker. Uh, he's from Spain originally. He bakes beautiful breads. And he also um, has, I don't know, a few hundred uh, sheep. And he would just visit the sheep because it's nice to visit the sheep and they're friendly sheep if you bring a little food. And uh, yeah, so I spent some time with sheep over the break. I forgot about that. Yeah, I saw those pictures and I was like, ew, no. <laughs> ew, sheep. They are kind of gross. I mean, it's just reality. I thought there was a you pun that was that, you know, you were just trying to um, pronounce that. No, yeah, Mar- no. Marisol wouldn't do that to us. You might, you might, Andrew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might just have done <laughs> And Emily, you? Oh, goodness. It was fun. My daughter um, got a Barbie dream house, which really means I got a Barbie dream house. So that's <laughs> been pretty exciting. And what else? It was good to see family. I got to, so my cousin's wife is a professor at Yale, not from the Midwest. And we got to explain to her what a walking taco is. So it was a fun cross-cultural since we're on the subject what 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 is a walking walking taco taco. and shouldn't be afraid of the answer (laughs) no see i'll clarify one thing up front because this apparently was her the taco itself does not walk (laughs) Ah, okay that feels that feels better already (laughs) no you open up a bag of doritos like crush them up and then you basically like dump taco stuff in there like meat and cheese and sour cream and salsa and whatever else with the idea being that you can then walk around (laughs) eating a taco but that's not really a taco but it's taco ish in that bag okay my mom was telling me about a restaurant in chicago that does that and i thought that that was also ill uh so I think I've heard of this. Is there, are there, does anyone know any other names for this? Wait, no. so our, our producer Molly is... Uh, does Molly know other names for the walking taco? There's a place in Cambridge that I've been that gives you Frito pie in a Frito bag. That's what I know. Frito pie. I couldn't think of that, but that's exactly... Okay. I've never seen this or experienced it, but I have heard... For some reason, I've heard people who've been involved in competitive swimming identify it as a part of swimming culture, like on the bus going wherever you, you know, load up your Frito pie in the bag and get on the bus or I'm not sure what. Mm. It does seem like one of those things that's about to become like cool and hipstery. So I'll let you know how it goes. Look out. And if it comes your way, please know that 
we here in the Midwest have been walking around. Maybe even Iowa specifically. I think Iowa I've talked specifically, to other yeah. Midwesterners. So we in Iowa have been walking around with our bags of taco for years. Yeah, I never saw that in Minnesota. It sounds like Marisol has never seen this in Chicago. Mm-mm. So it's, it sounds like it maybe we may have it. Cause we have real tacos in, in Chicago. That's why I know yeah. that's a fair that's- point. <laughs> I would never call this anything. real. <laughs> if you uh, know another name for this, if you've experienced this uh, tweet us at uh, the hashtag contact patient pod, we'd love we to hear about your Frito pie slash walking taco experiences. And if you have a geographic location for it, that's different from Iowa. The best part is it's supposed to mean you can like walk around. You're less likely to spill that kind of thing. I, of course, have spilled on myself every single time I've eaten a walking taco. So it doesn't really achieve its purpose in my experience. And do you use a fork or you just use your fingers? <laughs> yes, I've always used a fork. Like how squishy know. is it? I, you know, <laughs> probably at the end, you just like dump the bag. Right. You know, I, like you I do with any that. good bag of chips. I, I would also like to say it's my view that foods that are optimized for walking are <laughs> are not foods that are optimized. You know what I mean? Like I don't want my food to be designed for, I'd rather sit down and eat and walk around and like do other things like go for <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have a big thing with that here. We just want to be walking foods on sticks. We want to be walking and eating. Exactly. That is a Midwestern thing. Cause definitely the Minnesota state fair is all about foods on sticks. Multitasking at its best. So we are not here to talk about uh, (laughs) walking tacos or Frito pies or anything like that. We're here to talk about civic action plans. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, Emily and Andrew, you both had an opportunity to interview some folks about uh, civic action plans. We kicked this off uh, in 2016. It's already been about three years during our 30th anniversary uh, conference. Can you tell us a little bit about the interviews that you all had? Yeah, so I was really excited to do my um, here in Iowa, uh, 21, uh, all 21 of our member presidents signed on to the civic action statement, which um, part of the end of that is that your campus will create a civic action plan. So in the last two years, we've had a lot of efforts to help campuses create those plans and seen some really good examples. And one of my favorites has been Loris College, which is located in Dubuque, Iowa, Um they have a longstanding relationship with the city of Dubuque, which uh, they talk about in the interview. And so they actually did their civic action plan aligned with the city's uh, comprehensive plan, Imagine Dubuque. So it was really an example of bringing those things together and focusing on Loris meeting the needs of the city, helping the city achieve those um long-term goals. And so, uh, it's been, it's been one of my favorites, partially because Dubuque is just one of my favorite places. One of the things that we reference in the interview, um, so Dubuque during the farm crisis was not a good place. And, um, my family is from around that area and a, a running joke that my grandma used to say was that the last person to leave Dubuque should turn out the lights which we kind of referenced in the interview and it's had an incredible turnaround. It's a, it's a great city. It's a great place to visit. There are lots of cultural attractions. IBM has come there. They've really focused on equity. A lot of wonderful things happen there. And so it was an interesting time. And so I interviewed the president of Loris college and um, the director of the human rights department uh, who have been long, long longstanding partners in that. Awesome. Yeah, it was a great interview, uh, what I was able to hear. Did Andrew? 
So I had a conversation with some folks from James Madison University. Uh, James Madison is uh, deeply involved in Campus Compact. Their president, John Alger, serves on our board and is really a national voice for the civic and community engagement of colleges and universities. They're also the host institution for Campus Compact for Virginia. And their civic action plan uh, on the sort of student learning side connects with their tripartite commitment to engaged learning, community engagement, and civic engagement. And they distinguish those things, community engagement as kind of being involved in a hands-on way at the local level, solving public problems, and civic engagement being specifically for them about participation in democratic processes and institutions, both locally and nationally. And so they have been doing work that has really been about engaging students in developing plans to address key public issues at the local and the national level. And that's happened in part through some linked courses uh, in their honors college and in communication studies. And so I had an opportunity to have a conversation with Sarah Taylor Mayhack, who teaches in the School of Communication Studies and is a faculty fellow for Ethical Reasoning in Action at James Madison, and her colleague, Kara Ong Whaley, who is associate director at the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement and a faculty member in the Honors College. And so I talked to them about the teaching they've been doing uh, both this past fall and then uh, in a continuing way into the spring in which students have been identifying challenges, developing uh, civic action plans to address them, and then actually are going to get to work on implementing those plans. So let's uh, listen to that interview and then we'll listen to Emily's conversation with the folks from Dubuque. Sounds good. Sarah and Kara, thank you both for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. I know that you work at a university that has a broad and deep commitment to civic and community engagement. And we wanted to talk about a project that you've both been involved in that is connected to that. So maybe Sarah, if you could start us out by giving us a little background about this work that you've been doing with students uh, in the honors communication courses. Yeah, so in August, we opened a loop, I would say. Uh, We traveled to Montpelier, James Madison's house. And a part of that experience was not only learning about like the history of James Madison, but also kind of the complicated legacy. And we closed out that day by talking about uh, what does it mean to be Madisonian in today's day and age? What would it look like to carry on Madison's legacy? And one of the questions that was introduced by that by the students uh, is what what public problems persist today in part that are related to Madison's legacy. And so we kind of left that as a jumping off point for the semester. So from Montpelier, where you have over 200 Honors College students participating in this day-long retreat, they come to their first day of class and they all have to enroll in the fall semester in ASCOM 123, the Honors section. So they're in all honors classes. I taught four of them. So I taught over 100 students in our 220 student honors cohort, which is a lot. That's a lot of students to teach. No Um, TA. Right. No TA, uh, but in four different sections. So I got to know these students, but um, 
we had a common curriculum across all eight sections. So we developed a curriculum that was, how do we take these public problems and turn them into something tangible and actionable uh, that the students can work through the entire semester to try to finally, finally bring it home and bring it a little bit closer to JMU's campus. So what were some of the public problems that students identified mm-hmm. that, that they thought were worth their time and effort now? Yeah, that's a great question. So we did the process of brainstorming, identifying what groups students wanted to be a part of. Some some classes chose random grouping mechanisms, others grouped based on their interests. And so the problems that came out of that were um, sexual assault on college campuses, binge drinking culture on our campus in particular, but, you know, college campuses as a whole, uh, sustainability thinking about uh, the digital divide, particularly as it affects education and which students have access to technology to aid their learning and which don't. Um, Diversity. Yeah, diversity in terms of staff, in terms of students, how do we create diversity in a way that is authentic and not tokenizing? Um, Gosh, there were so, there were so many, oh, marijuana, legalizing it um, in a medical sense or in a recreational sense. And what would that look like? Some of the questions that that poses. Gun violence. Gun violence in schools. Um, Mental health was a really, really salient topic this year that emerged across all Mm -hmm. eight sections. Students very concerned about how do we address this uh, kind of really epidemic of mental health crises that we're seeing at college campuses? And is it just part of the normal academic culture that you are supposed to be anxious and depressed constantly? Is that just normal? And so you have honors college students speaking to this who are maybe a bit more stressed than the average (laughs) student. Uh, And that was definitely a really recurrent, wicked problem that they wanted to address. So what did the, the practical work, like how far did they take it during the fall semester from this process of kind of identifying these issues what did they what did they do? Good question. So we broke it into three working parts. So the first part of the project was what is the problem? Introduce us. What is the scope of the problem? Find a, a clear way to message and describe what the problem is to us, even though it is very complex and hard to describe. Um, we asked them to identify scape, uh, stakeholders who's impacted by uh, this problem and then to do some qualitative research to figure out who some of the local stakeholders might be for this problem. So for example, if it was the sexual assault on college campuses, they might go to talk to our bystander intervention expert on campus and work with her to get her insight. So that was the first part of the problem. So what is the problem? The second piece was, so what are you going to do about it? And we asked them to identify three potential solutions that could move the needle on this problem that could start to change and affect change. But it was not about convincing us which solution was the correct solution, but just giving us options. So three different options. And then the third presentation was this, what are we going to do about this problem here? So let's create a civic action plan. What steps need to be taken in order to chisel away at some portion of this very big problem that we know we can't solve for, that we know there's not one clean solution for, but what can we do to start affecting change and changing campus culture? Uh, And that's where we really brought in the civic action part of it. And Kara introduced us to a vocabulary and a language that the students could kind of grasp onto to develop these tangible plans. 
And that's kind of where we left off in the fall. So Kara, I know you both played a role in the fall and also are kind of picking this up and moving it forward. So can you talk a little bit about uh, that vocabulary that Sarah just mentioned? Like what are some of the things that you emphasized from your kind of civic engagement center uh, direction and, and then where is this heading? Yes. So it was, I was only, I was only able to spend about a day with each of it, with each of the sections. Um, so, so really, you know, all of the hard work was done by the instructors <laughs> and I just want to emphasize that. And especially, um, by, by Sarah, um, helping to, to coordinate all of this. Um, you know, but so my job essentially in, in, in the fall was, was presenting like, how do I put together a civic action plan? What does that look like? Um, and also giving students a sense of students, their own age had, had done something mm-hmm. like this before. And actually one of the examples that I really tried to draw on and highlight, um, was our campus voter engagement plan um, because these workshops actually happened the week right after the election where we saw an increase of 50% turnout um, at our campus precinct. Um, And that really you know, had happened, you know, yes, there, there, you know, in Virginia, we have elections every year. Um, um, but you know, we, we saw a huge turnout increase and, and that was largely because of a lot of coordinated efforts that began with, um, um, students who are our campus vote project fellows and our campus election engagement project fellows, um, working with Duke's vote and the Madison and, and us here at the Madison center, um, to come up with a voter engagement plan and to be strategic, to pull together a coalition. Um, so I was able essentially to use and, and that our voter engagement plan was written by freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this was some someone that was the same age. Um, these students were the same age, um, and so to refer to that as okay, here's the process that we go about. Here's how we can put together tangible, actionable steps, right? Identify who are, who do we need to have involved? What kind of coalitions do we need to build? Um, you know, who do we need to bring to the table? Where are the levers of power essentially, mm-hmm. and how do we map this out and think through this. Um, so that's really where I focused. Um, and then, you know, next semester, students who are continue, who continue to be interested in this, um, will be able to take a civic engagement track within the honors college, which they would complete over three semesters. Um, um, to get a transcript notation and also, um, a certificate in civic leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we're, if they want to continue, um, to emphasize and focus on this, you know, one thing that I think you kind of actually asked in your question, um, and, and kind of Sarah brought up is, you know, Sarah and the other instructors, um, in communications are working from a communications framework. Um, and, you know, in civic engagement, the, you know, the language is a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so, so we, they're, they're, we, we kind of figured a little bit of that out, but, you know, and the follow on, they'll get a little bit more about the theory behind things. Right. So if they choose to emphasize this, if they take the civic engagement track in the honors college, we're going to delve much more deeply into thinking about, um, you know, what are strategic actions that can be taken, right? Is it a deliberative dialogue? Mm -hmm. You know, when and where should we use protest or boycotts or boycotts? Um, when, when is petitioning, um, a, a more effective tool, right? And, and we'll think through kind of the theories, um, um, and, and really like, how do we, how do we get to solving these pressing problems Mm -hmm. in a 
collaborative way. But I would add, I think, and Kara really undersells herself, uh, before she came to, you know, give us the language of civic action planning and share that um, kind of this much theory brought to us in a really tangible pieces. Before we got to that point, the students were looking at problems like sexual assault on campus and thinking, well, we already have a center on campus for students that experience assault. Like, so that we already have something, you know, and what, what more could we do? And by giving them ideas such as create a petition, uh, insight dialogue. Is this something that's being talked about enough? Are the right conversations happening? It was giving them so many more uh, vantage points to look through and see that we're not limited. These are ways that we haven't explored thinking and talking about this problem yet. There's so many things that are uh, kind of exciting and fruitful to think about that comes out of this. You know, so, I mean, one part of that is just the way that um, engagement and action kind of lays the foundation for future engagement and action. So if you can point to the voter engagement plan, students really did this look at the impact. That's so powerful. And it makes sense that then you start to build a culture that can, can really change. And I just think also the point that you just made, Sarah, about, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about this in the broader civic context that so many of us assume that kind of civic or public institutions are just sort of supposed to take care of problems mm -hmm. as opposed to they require citizen action in an ongoing, consistent way, or they cannot really be effective. And I just think that's a really interesting kind of angle for this to, to have raised. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean that every single civic action plan that was drafted is going to get implemented. Um, and, and not everyone is going to emphasize, you know, choose the civic engagement track within the honors college. But by having this in a general education course, we've been able to incorporate students who might be computer science majors mm -hmm. or biology majors um, or, you know, other, you know, other majors that aren't necessarily focused specifically on public problems mm -hmm. um, or thinking about it in political science terms or public administration terms, right. Or social services terms. Um, so thinking about, you know, by just introducing these broader concepts of what does, civic participation, civic engagement look like, um, you know, we're, we're helping to incorporate this, you know, it doesn't matter what major it is. Everybody has the opportunity to do that. Um, and so I think probably a quarter to a third of the student groups were interested in addressing sexual violence, mm -hmm. um, and sexual assault on campus. And we do have a number of student groups who are involved, but, you know, it also coincided, um, with the timing of the release of the new title nine rules. Um, and so we've also used it as an opportunity to, you know, leveraging it as an opportunity to think about, um, the importance of public commenting, right? And this really comes out of um, reforms from Congress in, in the 60s and 70s towards a more participatory political regime, right? And, and I think we're seeing that reinvigorated more broadly um, in, in this country now where, we're, where, where everyone is thinking, okay, what can I do, right? And I think public commenting is a really important aspect um, um, to, you know, to, to have voices heard that, you know, it, it doesn't just stop at voting, right? Um, um, there are these really important ways to be involved in political and decision-making processes. Is there maybe for each of you one sort of surprise from 
this work so far? Something that, yeah, direction it's gone that you weren't expecting or just something you learned about the students that, that you wouldn't have known? Okay. Well, so I, Sarah had much more interaction with them. I got to, you know, I was on the Montpelier retreat with them. Um, one of the sections, um, actually helped us with a, um, we, we also did a voter education guide, um, a JMU voter education guide. And so 20 of the honor students actually helped with that this, this, um, fall as well. Um, so I've gotten to know, you know, a, a good portion of them. Um, and I think, what is encouraging and hopeful to me is I think we're seeing a pretty big shift in this generation to really caring about um, participating. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a big ask to ask students to get involved in politics right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, community services is one thing, right? But when we have this politics that's very nasty and brutish, um, and we're asking students to, to get involved, to see their willingness to kind of take this on and say, look, we need to solve these problems mm-hmm. um, because these are challenges that we all face. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, um, I think is really amazing. And, and to see this sort of revival in participatory politics um, uh, is, is, is wonderful. And I will say that, um, you know, even at, at JMU, we there's, you know, it, it is a majority white student population. Um, but I would say another really hopeful thing is that there is, I think, very deep concern about um, trying to make sure that we have a more diverse and inclusive democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that has been, um, you know, that, that really impacted me, I think, in, in interacting with the students. Mm-hmm. This, so this project in this semester was... Um, probably one of my most rewarding in my time here at JMU. This is my fourth year. And uh, the students, particularly in the Honors College, their willingness to take on problems that are obviously so much bigger than themselves, um, that process was very overwhelming. But to see them come out on the other side of it and the few, the brave that are pursuing this in the spring semester to continue to bring these projects into fruition, uh, I think it just really demonstrates that they, um, they care more than we give them credit for, to reiterate what Kara said. Um, one of the things that for me was surprising and I guess really valuable that came out of this semester when Kara came in to talk to us about civic action planning, she talked about uh, the unlikely messenger. And as you are uh, framing how to solve or address or move the needle on a particular public problem, who can you find to sell that message to the public that uh, might not be who we expect? And I saw students really grasp onto that and think about reaching across the aisle and how can we demonstrate that this issue is not a partisan issue, but is instead something that we should all care about. So there were a couple ways that this was demonstrated. One group that was working on, um, the question of marijuana and legalization, whether it's in a medical sense or in a recreational sense, they really, um, bought into this unlikely messenger and looked at Scott Taylor, who was a GOP candidate in Virginia Beach. And so you've got this like traditional Republican guy who's like, we should legalize pot. And so it was just flipping the narrative. And so using that as a strategy to demonstrate this is a problem that um, is a nonpartisan issue. And I think that learning that skill 
to incite dialogue across the aisle um, by finding the unlikely messenger uh, was really, really remarkable for me to see how they grasped onto that and utilize that throughout the semester. And I think it was a good reminder for me, you know, get outside of the echo chamber of people that already agree with you and, and find a way to um, make it more of a, a true dialogue. One thing that just strikes me and that I find is sort of really hopeful um, about the project. So a little story, when I worked at Princeton, I taught a a seminar on social entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, the students were designing sort of social ventures and they were, you know, planning to eliminate malaria or end hunger (laughs) or whatever. And I was separately working uh, on a committee that was looking at issues of binge drinking, sexual assault on campus. So I would bring this to the, the group students and say like, what are some things that could could happen to change the culture on campus? And they would say, oh, that's impossible. Like, we, we can solve hunger globally, but there's no way <laughs> to see this here, you know. And so to hear that the students were, you know, at least wanted to focus their energies on those issues in their own community, uh, you know, I don't know whether they, how high their estimate is of the likelihood of complete success or whatever, but the fact that they're willing to take it on, I think is a very powerful signal that they're taking these questions seriously and, and want to live in, in good communities where everybody can thrive. Yeah. Anything else you would want to share with us uh, about this work? I will just say that we are, you know, just trying to continue to think about how do we embed civic learning in different majors, right? Um, and, and, and continue to offer these opportunities. Um, I, th- I think one of the things we, we, one of the things that strikes me is that we need to give students the opportunity to actually practice the skills. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's not just a matter of telling them, I don't think that you can really teach civic engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we can give them the opportunities to practice it. And we really have to take seriously the idea that students are co-creators, co-producers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, the, there's a student who can't continue on in the civic track because it just doesn't work with his schedule, right? But the Madison Center is going to be here and, and Sarah will be here. You know, we are going to help make sure that his idea uh, might be implemented. Um, and and as similarly for the groups who are really caring about sexual assault, right, um, or, or any of their issues, right, any of the issues that were addressed, um, we need to give them the opportunities um, in, in our universities and our colleges to, to actually put into practice the ideas that they have. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to be successful, right? Um, um, and, and there are certainly going to be challenges and obstacles but they need to, you know, if, if we want to make this work, they, they have to have those opportunities to, to participate. Well, thank you both for the work you're doing. And thank you for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. to the interview that I was able to have with Jim Collins, Jim's president of Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa, and Kelly Larson. Kelly is the director of the Dubuque Human Rights Department, and they're going to talk about their civic action plan work together in Dubuque. All right. 
So Jim Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. I want to start with, because this is a nationwide podcast, it's possible not everyone's heard of Dubuque, Iowa. So tell us what's great about Dubuque. Well, I can start. Um, One of the things that I absolutely love about Dubuque is that um, in addition to it just being a really beautiful place, so I love the geography here, it's it's the right size, I think, to really have an engaged community. And that's one of the things that attracted me here and keeps me here. And I think we have a lot of partnerships throughout the community. Um, We're big enough to have opportunity and small enough to to get people connected and, and involved. So I'd say that's what jumps to my mind. Fantastic. Yeah, I would concur with Kelly. It's a it's a nice sized city of sixty thousand proper, and uh, with the uh, small communities nearby, uh, roughly a hundred thousand. So you really can develop strong relationships and simultaneously have um, access to all sorts of great opportunities, both from a, a job and a cultural and um, infrastructure support perspective. So, as I tell people, it's uh, it's Pleasantville. Nice. I agree. I love Dubuque. Um, But also, as someone growing up in Iowa, I remember a time when Dubuque wasn't in such a good place. Um, I know I grew up near there and my mom grew up on a farm not far from Dubuque. And my grandma used to say that the last person to leave Dubuque should turn out the lights. And it's turned around a lot since, you know, the 80s, the farm crisis. What do you, what would you attribute that turnaround to? How has it become the thriving community that I think it is today? I think Kelly touched on it earlier. Um, you know, I happened to graduate from Loris in the um, mid-1980s when those t-shirts were <laughs> made yeah. up. Uh, so unemployment was around 27% and now it's less than 3%. And I think wow. largely it has to do with um, strong uh, city and community leadership. It's amazing how well the public and private sectors um, have worked. Um, this is a, a tremendously philanthropic um, communities. So there's been uh, significant um, support. And I also think that the city and the community have done a great job of collaborating and developing goals together. So that while all of us as institutions or organizations have our own set of strategic goals, so many of us um, try to incorporate um, individual and institutional goals to align with the city and the communities. And I think that's lended to um, great outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. And and some of the things that I see in terms of the people that I work with across institutions here and out in the community is that there's this ability to regroup around a shared vision. And I think there's a lot of resilience. And so when conflicts happen, when things get rough, we keep coming back to the table and, and we keep communicating. And I think that's a huge piece of our success as well. Great. Yes, those I those are really important elements. So wanted to talk some specifically today about um, the Loris College Civic Action Plan and its alignment with Imagine Dubuque. But can you first just sort of fill us in on a little bit of the history of the partnership between um, the city and the college? Because I know that that is not new. Uh, correct. Um, one of the probably the most tangible components um, dates back to the mid 1980s, where um, 
the solid waste and sustainability coordinator position of the city um, in an effort to try and grow the way in which the outreach was provided. Um, the city was looking for an educational partner um, to house the position and share um, the cost of providing this kind of outreach. So since the, um, I think, late 1980s, we've had um, the city's um, coordinator housed here at Loris, um, working in tandem both with the city and with the college. So that practicality has allowed for a very natural conversation and a conversation that expanded beyond the actual role and scope of that position, but it's also allowed us to have um, greater conversations and develop more initiatives with um, Kelly and all sorts of her colleagues uh, at the city. Great. And I, I would say, um, but I see the partnership as, as always evolving. So many, many years ago um, in the early 2000s, uh, Loris College was actively involved with our commission here um, and a group called Faces and Voices and doing a two-week sort of series of events, cultural awareness um, and diversity events. They were a strong collaborator in that uh, early on in my tenure here. And then over the years, I know that there have been a variety of city departments who have worked with Loris College faculty and staff on on different things. And I see this this particular work around the, the Civic Action Plan and Imagine Dubuque as sort of taking that partnership to an, you know, another level of, um, of a broader community vision for how we might work together across the institutions. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just going to say it does seem like this has taken the partnership to the next level. Um, what led you to the conclusion that that was the right step? One of the things that that I um, have long had sort of a, a concern about working as a human rights director is that when you're talking about things as complex as social issues and human rights and and um, our vision for our community in terms of quality of life and um, resident participation in government and all of these different things, it's it's uh, it, you know it can't be done by an organization alone, much less a department. And so um, just in having conversations with Maggie Baker around some of the service learning components, and as I started hearing more from her about the civic action plan process, uh, it, you know, it just sort of clicked that, that from the city perspective, we have this broad community-wide comprehensive plan that that that's updated on a regular basis. And we were just going into a large community-wide update. Um, and it seemed to me that, you know, that plan has so many elements that all come back to having a thriving and strong community. And so um, it just it seems like a logical connection uh, to work with with Laura's College to begin to infuse, you know, that bigger, the, the civic action work with that bigger plan and knowing that that also means it opens the door for a lot of other partnerships with other institutions as we um, start to move forward. And, and piggybacking on what Kelly shared, I think our mission as a, a Catholic college um, not only suggests um, strong academic preparation of our students, but also finding ways in which 
they can draw upon the Catholic social and intellectual tradition um, with regard to giving back and serving those in need and honoring human dignity. And um, not many people are familiar with diocesan colleges. There's only 10 of us in the country, but um, in large part, we were formed um, to not only provide strong educational opportunities for students in the region, but also to correspondingly serve the local region in a prominent way. So as we tell students, we want you to build your capacity um, with your gifts and talents academically, but to the extent that you use those gifts and talents to benefit oneself is failing um, to honor the mission. And it just seems so natural that our partnership based on mission um, would be so prominently placed with the city and with our local community. Great. So obviously hoping that campuses across the country and cities across the country listening to this can learn from your experience. So I'm wondering, and maybe um, Kelly, we can start with you. Tell us more about the planning process and what you think worked well um, as a part of that. Uh, I would say, you know, first, and this may seem rather obvious, but but having the connection with Loris that existed previously mm-hmm. and um, being invited as a community partner to participate in the early stages of the planning made a big difference. Um, because, you know, just like Loris as an institution, we have, you know, we sort of are also operating under our vision. And while there's a lot of overlap to be sure, it's there's always a challenge working across institutions to meet the needs of both institutions and have a really reciprocal um, partnership. And so I think that that early involvement worked really well. It gave us a chance to talk through some of that. Um, it gave me a chance to meet other faculty at mm-hmm. the college who were interested in um, leading this work around the civic action plan. And so that sort of expanded my perspective as well on on um, you know where where this could possibly go. And I know Kelly, you came to the early Civic Action Planning Institute that we had with the team from Loris, I believe. Yes. And I know that one of the things campuses sometimes struggle with is whether whether they should ask community partners to give up that kind of time to participate in uh, a, a planning process that is somewhat focused on the college, at least initially. What made you feel like that was a worthy investment? Because um, I know you're really busy. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is just knowing that in government, there there is constantly this pressure to do more with less. Um, that's one piece of it that's very real. And so we have to put time into fostering connections and relationships outside the institution that might help us with our mission and goals as well. There's also the, you know, from the civic action side of it, it's the, um, you know, so it, it just comes back to how I view democracy and how you have a strong local government. It cannot be isolated and we need to have always be cultivating citizen engagement. And so, um, you know, there's that component. And then I'd say lastly, the third thing that really jumps to me is I just, I'm always looking to the future. And I think it's so important that we're fostering development amongst the next generation of leaders. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, a third thing that makes a college in particular um, a great place to have 
that connection. Great. Jim, from your perspective, what made the planning process work for Loris and what do you think that was able to achieve? I I think one, and I think uh, the Academy is always especially good at grassroots efforts, but, um, you know, this was not a proclamation issued by me or Mm -hmm. by our administration. It was really a conversation that we had here on campus um, that began by taking the the city's um, vision for the future and taking a look at that and then having a conversation with regard to the civic action plan about how can we take some of our um, faculty's particular um, disciplinary strengths and or passion and tie it to um, goals and strategies identified by the city um, where we could perhaps bring greater capacity to the city's efforts and correspondingly perhaps the city could benefit from um, the disciplinary strength that our faculty might have just the same as um, with the number of co-curricular programs we have here at the college and the way in which we develop our curriculum, it was a matter of taking a look at what our strengths are, what our expectations are, and how to develop further the service learning opportunities that our students um, are eager to pursue and we're happy to uh, enable, how those might align with the city's goals and objectives. So um, if you were to look at our strategic plan, our action plan, and even our divisional plans across the college, all of them have elements from the city's plan directly aligned. Um, so while we're not there yet, um, mm-hmm. it was really a, a very strong, intentional conversation we had here on campus um, to align our specific plans with the city's goals. Fantastic. So you completed that process last year. I'm curious what's happening now. Um, what are, what's in place? What has taken off this semester? What are you excited about? I am crazy excited. I think anybody uh, who's in higher education that would be listening to this can appreciate that when you engage a faculty in trying to um, redo your general education program. Mm -hmm. Um, Many will say it can take as long (laughs) as seven to 10 years. Um, I I have low level patience for things like that, but um, to our faculty's credit, uh, in roughly a year and a half to two years, we were able to adopt a new general education program that'll take place um, next academic year. It'll start to be implemented next year. And we've moved our first year experience from a semester to a full year. And the first semester course is going to be focused on engaging difference. So how do we develop a more inclusive approach to the way in which we work with people, learn about um, life? Uh, And then the second semester course is going to be entitled um, Engaging Community. And that's where there will be direct application to the Civic Action Plan Uh, the city's plan, all the good work that Kelly's doing, and have our students directly engaged by the second semester of their first year um, in service learning opportunities and civic action planning uh, in the city. And that'll only build then over the course of the four years in which they're taking the curriculum. So that's the one I'm most excited about. That's amazing. How about from your perspective, Kelly? Um, I would say one of the things that I'm really excited about, we've been meeting with some faculty members over at Loris about um, a community-based research project that we were able to kick off uh, with one particular group uh, working with the University of Iowa 
a couple of years ago, and it soon became clear to us we wanted to um, do this work on a more regular basis. So the program is called Cultural Snapshots, and the idea is to do some community-based research that helps us to get a better understanding of what some of the contributions are that um, various subcultures in our community are bringing to our community, as well as what some of the needs might be, so that we have that uh, data and information, and we're also intentionally making connections with community members um, who may have traditionally not felt very connected with government or with other institutions or organizations in the community. And um, so our work with Loris, I, I see that as really uh, bringing us towards an opportunity to do this on an annual basis um, where we're lining up with different courses that faculty are teaching that, you know, their students, the, the faculty can get can provide us a degree of expertise. The students can um, help us with some of the implementation and then the community benefits by having that um, that data collected and available to help inform some of our strategies as we move forward, particularly as it relates to equity and inclusion. So that's that's one particular piece that uh, is a little more you know concrete mm -hmm. and happening right now that I'm especially excited about. That's wonderful. That's a really good and interesting concrete example. Um, so since we're you know all about education uh, in our work and on this podcast. I want to just end with what you have learned from this particular planning process or your partnership overall that uh, you're taking with you into the future, but also that you think um, folks listening to this might be able to um, take something from in their work. Um, Kelly, do you want to start us off and then, and then Jim will have you share as well. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing I would say, of course, is working with academia. There, I'm always learning, I'm, and it's one of the things that I just love about it because it, it, you know, it's almost like informal professional development on a constant, you know, basis as I'm meeting with people and we're talking things through, and you know, I'm I'm learning from the expertise that faculty have in different areas, and so that's just a a really interesting side benefit that I really wouldn't, I don't think I would have thought about. Um, yeah. The other piece, yeah, it's just it's interesting. And then the other, the other thing that that I would say I'm learning is it does take patience. Um, there, you know, we're dealing with institutional structures on both both sides of the equation, right? And and um, so so figuring out the logistics and you know how can we make this work for what faculty and students need to accomplish within their classroom for example and what I'm trying to accomplish from a city perspective or maybe another um, organization or department might be trying to accomplish it you know it, it has to be a willingness to be create you know an ability to be creative and look for the opportunities and and ways that um, that we can make it work and and still meet both of our needs Great advice. And I would certainly um, affirm Kelly's point about patience. That's always one of the big things. Um, from my, my perspective, one of the things that um, I have, have learned and um, seen the benefit in all sorts of ways, and I think it will only grow exponentially, is that, again, on campus, as we're trying to encourage our students to be um, 
you know, our, our dispositions are active learning, reflective thinking, ethical decision making, and then social contributions back to your the community in which you live, regardless of um, what your vocation or professional role might be. Um, for students to be directly engaged, for faculty to be directly engaged in their community, um, with the city, with other not-for-profit partners, with um, other industries and corporations, is the type of engagement, while the students may not know it right off the bat, by the time in which they're graduating and they move on to whatever, whether it's in Dubuque or beyond, I've been struck, particularly in recent years, by how quickly our young alums have become engaged in their community mm-hmm. and um, are civilly, civically responsible and actively engaged. And that wouldn't occur unless we had such a strong uh, and vibrant partnership with um, the city of Dubuque and correspondingly with Campus Compact and the development of the Civic Action Plan. Yeah, I've seen that too. And I know that a piece of your plan is to um, try to do more to capture and measure that impact. And I think that's, that's a really significant area in the field that we need to learn a lot more about. So I'm excited about that as well. Is there anything else either of you would want to share with our network uh, before we close today? I would just say that that I'm just so appreciative of the opportunity to work both with Loris and with Iowa Campus Compact. I think that um, the the resources and the opportunities that are coming up through those partnerships just, it, you know, I, I think it's really important for more government institutions to be aware of, of what's possible and to be making those connections. Thank you. And I would say uh, ditto to what Kelly said, um, we're, we're so appreciative of the partnership and the relationship that we've developed with the city and look forward to the ongoing uh, potential as we move forward. But um, while stated, I, I want to underscore, I think that Iowa Campus Compact has been an amazing air traffic controller and leader and educator in bringing us all together to have us um, think about um, what might be next and provide scenarios of what we might consider, but simultaneously um, to really help us um, think through all issues, not only in terms of where where is um, the vision uh, that we've developed going to take us, but how do we assess that? Um, because um, you can't do one without having the other. Well, thank you both. And I'll I'll say ditto to all of that as well, because um, for me personally, and I think for our organization, working with you both individually and with your organizations has helped us to learn and grow. And I just really appreciate everything you are doing to forge new ground and really take things to the next level in terms of what we're able to accomplish that makes communities better places, educates students, and and really creates the country that we're looking for. So thank you for giving me your time here today as well. And um, we'll just look forward to catching up with you again on the podcast as the plan comes to fruition. Sounds great. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Yes, thanks, Jim. Thanks for all the contributors, both Emily and Andrew, for interviewing and the folks that we interviewed for uh, sharing with us their experiences with the Civic Action Plan. Um, Emily, can you share with us some resources around Civic Action Plans that we can share with our listeners and uh, our member campuses? 
Yeah. So, I mean, first I would just say that even though, you know, kind of when we initially put out the um, action statement, it was like, do a plan within a year. We've had campuses doing plans all the time over the last three years, um, just sort of depending on the local context and when that planning process made sense. And so we still, we have a cohort of campuses from Iowa and Minnesota going through a planning process this year. Still have a lot of interest in that. Marisol, you'll be in Iowa next week. We're having a Civic Action Institute where we're bringing together teams from across both states who are either implementing their plans and looking to to talk about innovative ways of doing that or are still working on creating um, their first civic action plan and kind of walking them through that. So we are very much interested in Campus Compact and continuing this effort around creating really robust strategic plans for community engagement. Um, I would say there's a lot of great resources on our website as well. So if you look at compact.org, um, there's a whole civic action plan section. One of the great things is there's over... Over 100 plans already posted there. About 115. Yeah, I think uh, around that. And um, you can look at those based on geography, type of institution, issue area, and really look at a lot of wonderful examples. But there's also a guide to creating a plan, a plan template, a plan template, some research, um, and some resources for publicizing your plan, an important element of it. So there's a lot of great resources there. And, uh, you know, I think Loris is a great example of the kind of transformation you could see. But we have there are many, many more of those examples of campuses where um, doing this type of planning has really just taken things to another deeper level. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I would just say, you know, it, it kind of starts with signing on to the 30th anniversary action statement. And I think you know, one of the things that strikes me is it was written in really the summer of 2015. Um, and I think we all feel like a lot of things have changed in the country since then. But I still think the plan that that statement um, reads as very relevant in terms of the challenges it identifies with the growth of inequality, the deepening of polarization, and the way that's uh, inhibiting us from addressing the challenges uh, that we need to in the country. So, um, so I would encourage people to take a look at that. Um, and if, you know, they have questions, whatever, to get in touch with either a, a state director or, um, you know, here at the national office, we'd be glad to talk to you about kind of getting started on that process. Well, thanks so much. And uh, if you have any comments or suggestions, please email us at podcast at compact.org. You can also reach us on Twitter at hashtag compact nation pod. Uh, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Till next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Nation podcast is produced by Molly Leeper, Communications Manager for Campus Compact. Campus Compact is based in Boston, Massachusetts, and has over a thousand member colleges and universities across the country and beyond. If you want to learn more about Campus Compact, visit us at compact.org. You can send your comments, questions, and show ideas to podcast at compact.org or find us on social media with hashtag compactnationpod or find us on social media with hashtag compactnationpod. 
You can find our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and tell your friends.